Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Having the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, December 24th, the day before Christmas. But when you hear this, it will be the day after Christmas. Whoa. That's the Twilight Zone theme. Uh, the headline in the Chicago Tribune. I can't even say home delivered because I'm still in this Airbnb in LA. And if things keep up, I may be here for like <clears throat> the next few days because COVID is uh, canceling a lot of flights in America. But the headline in the Tribune says it all. Latest U.S. surge demand for tests. Man, this COVID thing is no freaking joke. And uh, I promised folks yesterday that I would deliver the following guest. I'm very proud to say I'm making good on my promise. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. This is uh, Eric Zorn. I write the Picayune Sentinel weekly newsletter, and I also contribute occasionally to the Daily Herald newspaper. Yes. My, my new gig. Uh, the legendary Eric Zorn. We talk about him on the show all the time. Uh, he weighs in with corrections on how I'm butchering the pronunciations of various names. Uh, and I we take great delight in that. Because, Eric, you know, I've been struggling with uh, pronunciations my whole life. I got a little dyslexia, a lot. So I reverse. And uh, it's always funny when you send those those, uh, rec uh, those corrections in, because then it just makes me struggle even more. I'm like, oh, Christ. What did Eric say? Is it is it Raybine or Raybine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you fighting with this all the time. I, uh, I want to text you. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Gary, uh, let's give uh, uh, 10 points to Eric Zorn. Eric, he's probably the only person in the city of Chicago other than me who knows who Gary Raybine or Raybine or whatever Ray, it is. It's, it's Raybine. It's Raybine. And I, you're right. I probably am one of the few people who know who the guy is, but his name may possibly come up a little bit next year. I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence that it will, but he's running for governor as a Republican. He's one of the four announced candidates for governor, which is why and you, and you know, your show probably more than most, probably more than any other media outlet in town is following this, this uh, Republican jockeying for, supremacy and the race for governor risk to get annihilated by Pritzker next fall. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, I'm going to do something with you at the end of the show that I did. Uh, we, we had some fun with Delmarie Cobb when she was on the other day. Uh, and I'm going to say, uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Uh, we're going to get out Eric's crystal ball. He's going to make some predictions because it's also sort of an end of the year show. Uh, but, uh, of course, Eric Zorn, a legendary Chicago Tribune columnist for many years. And then he just said to hell with it. I'm walking away. Uh, like Barry Sanders in Detroit, just walked away. I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, and um, still cranking him out, Eric. Uh, still cranking out columns. And the, the reason I immediately turned to Eric, as I said yesterday, so folks didn't hear yesterday's show, I got his column. He sent me his column. And the, there was a line in the column, Eric, it was one of those, damn, I wish I wrote that. 
On the other hand, I don't wish I have COVID. So Eric announced in his column that he has COVID. Uh, and um, his whole family, I think your wife has COVID, and two of your three children have COVID, if I recall correctly, from the column. Uh, and then you wrote a line, which I quoted yesterday, which I'm going to butcher now, but uh, everyone will get COVID was the line. And it it's like, I got to have Eric on. We have to talk about this. Uh, we just have to talk about the fact that people like me and you, Eric, and so many other folks that I know have spent the entire last almost two years doing everything we can to avoid getting COVID. And now suddenly it's like this existential crisis. There's this new variant that you can't escape. And people are coming to the conclusion that there's nothing they can do. They're going to get it. And you're like ahead of us in this game in many ways. Barely. Uh, you know, I, I just, I know so many people now who have it. Our, our neighbors have it. Uh, various former colleagues of ours have it. A, a lot of friends have it. It's like I was talking to a, a guy on our Mincing Rascals podcast the other day, Brandon Pope from WCIU. He said he knows 18 people who've been diagnosed positive with COVID now. And just in the last couple of, couple of days. So it's this this Omicron variant seems highly contagious. It also isn't doesn't seem to be quite as serious as previous variants. And those of us who are appropriately vaxxed uh, are getting through it okay. I had a, I had very mild symptoms. Uh, I, I wouldn't have even I, I took Nyquil, and if I hadn't known about COVID, I would never even taken a test. It would it just felt like a seasonal cold. Um, my wife and daughter had it a little bit worse. Uh, I just talked to my son in New York City. We're where this variant is running rampant and he's got it and he feels totally fine. It's his second time. He, he had it in February before the vaccines and he had a much harder time with it back then, but now he's gotten it again. So it just seems like this, there's, there's so many breakthrough cases. This variant seems so incredibly contagious. And so the smart thing for people to do is to get vaccinated to try. I mean, yeah, you can try to keep yourself away from it, but, and, and it makes sense. These things that we're doing, we you know, we're people wearing masks and so on. And, and, uh, uh, that all makes sense, but it just seems inevitable to me that the way we're out, unless we're going to cocoon ourselves like we did in, in March and April of 2020, you're going to get this. And I guess the hope is that some people say that it'll sort of burn itself out because so many people will get it. But I don't see a way of really avoiding it. I worry about my elderly parents getting it. They're they're ninety, you know, and and uh, they've so far avoided it. But uh, I I don't I don't see how they they can. It's just it's everywhere. So, I mean, and yeah, you, you see what's going on with in in sports, right? I mean, <laughs> on the day we're speaking, they had to cancel like every every major sporting event. Like a bunch of bowl games got canceled. There's nothing to do but talk to your family today. <laughs> so Spread COVID to your family members. Hey, let's Merry Christmas. Have some COVID. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what I call the existential crisis. And I think this may be exaggerated in my head. So you can help me through this, Eric. You can play therapist to me. Uh, like I said, I spent so much of 2020 uh, and 2021 as well, but mainly 2020, so for afraid of COVID. And, uh, I just, I may, whenever I think of COVID, I think of John Prine, who is one of my favorites from way back when, and he died. We did a whole special show about him. And it was just so sad that like COVID killed John Prine. And I just, that it's like, I think of like, it's death. It's almost like, oh my God, if I get COVID, that could be it. And yet I'm looking at you. You look fine. You sound fine. Nate, our producer, he has COVID. He's playing in pain. He's. Do, producing the show, the bonus episode. So just help me through this. Uh, did you have the fear? Did you have like a, like an existential moment of angst of like, this is it when you got it that has dissipated over time or have you taken it in stride? I, I took it in stride because like I said, my symptoms were all that bad. Uh, I, I, you've ever had, uh, you've had Mark Garino on your show, right? The, uh, the, the, uh, Washington post, he, he got COVID and he thinks it was at the uh, Smollett trial. He covered the Smollett trial and the Rittenhouse trial and for the Washington post and maybe the New York times, one of the, anyway, yeah, Mark's a, a friend of mine. And I, I think he's a, certainly an acquaintance of yours and his symptoms were a lot worse. He, he was reporting that on social media, uh, he's made it through fine though, and he's like he's totally on the mend. And uh, 
so it, every, it's hitting everybody a little different. I don't know anybody who's been hospitalized. Now, you do. Uh, but I, I don't remember from your show whether the person you know who's hospitalized, one of your regular guests, uh, is was, vac- was vaccinated or not. But, but uh, most people I know who've gotten this and have been vaccinated are experiencing a variety of symptoms. It's all over the map, as far as I can tell, in terms of the kinds of things that people are, are feeling. But they're not, I mean, and some of them are, are incapacitated. Then there goes like, like, uh, like the guy in the Bulls uh, uh, who said his only symptom was boredom, right? So, yes, DeRozan. DeRozan, DeRozan. right. So, so, so uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, when I first was diagnosed, I was like, well, you know, if I, everything that I read gives me confidence that I'm going to get through this. A year ago before the vaccines, I think I would have been completely freaked out because people were, I mean, people are still dying, obviously, of this, but most of the people who are hospitalized, most of the people who are dying of this are unvaccinated. So, I mean, the, the obvious lesson here is that if you want to be on the safe side, get vaccinated. And yes, and that was the, the conclusion of your column, get vaccinated. And so talk about that, because you say the obvious conclusion, and I agree with your conclusion, but the conclusion that many people in America draw from this is that what's the point? It doesn't matter. Uh, it's like you're going to get it anyway. In fact, there's almost a matter of glee in which non-vaccinated, particularly in the world of sports and football players, non-vaccinated football players, that's a whole other subsection of the non-vax, the anti-vax movement, football players, trash-talking football players. They're like, oh, man, what's the point? X, Y, Z, he's got it. This guy's got it. That guy's got it. So some people take a look at the fact that you got it or Nate got it or uh, Mark Carino, by the way, who was the guest. Uh, that we talked John Prine with. That's so funny you should mention him because we did the deep dive. The guy knows more about John Prine than pretty much anyone I know. Mark Greeno hits to all fields as a journalist. He He really does. He does. He loves his music too. Uh, But anyway, uh, so respond to that. Respond as best you can to the counter argument that if a guy like Eric Zorn uh, got COVID and if a guy like Nate, the producer, DJ Nate got COVID, then what's the point? of getting vaccinated. Well, obviously the point is that it's not, no one ever promised you that the vaccine was going to prevent you from getting COVID, let alone this new strain of COVID. But the promise is, and the promise that has been fulfilled by science is that it will reduce your symptoms. It will make it far less likely that you'll end up hospitalized on a ventilator or dead. That's what, that's the, it's like, it's like, yeah, hey, look, this guy wore a seatbelt and he was still killed in a car accident. Well, yeah, people who wear seatbelts still get killed in car accidents. That happens. But that doesn't mean that wearing a seatbelt doesn't vastly reduce the chances that you're going to be killed in a car accident. So I, I you know, think of the vaccine as a seatbelt. Uh, so in general, we're going to go down this uh, path then. We're at the anti-vaxxers. What do you make of the anti-vaxxers? Uh, I deal with this as an issue on my show all the time, and pretty much every question, every guest has asked this. And I don't have anti-vaxxers really on the show, Eric. I just I can't deal with the illogic of it all for me anyway. So, you know, they they have plenty of outlets to go to. They don't need to go to my humble little podcast. Uh, but what do you make of anti-vaxxers and uh, the tenacity with which uh, they advance their cause? Well, I, you know, there are certainly people who distrust everything from big pharma and big government, which is arguably where the vaccine comes from. But we've had vaccines for decades, generations, uh, centuries, and vaccines have a proven track record overall. I think what you hear from them is well, we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be of this vaccine. And it's true, we don't know, but we have a pretty good idea that they're not going to be severe. There's no evidence so far that they are, that they, they cause in any statistically significant way, long-term effects. But there are people who just distrust government. And there's also a, an extremely strong partisan element to this. And I wrote about this in my, in my column the other day, in my newsletter, which was that the Republicans and Democrats are, are, have, a, have vastly different experiences uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, to, to COVID, and and so you when you have, uh, I mean, just for instance, like I can I can just read you these these uh, statistics here, which is that it, that it, Monmouth University took this poll and they found that they said asked have you received at least one dose of COVID vaccine? Republicans yes, fifty four percent. Democrats ninety six percent. And then they said, is it likely you'll never get the vaccine? 
30% of Republicans said they'll never get the vaccine, 2% of Democrats. Are you personally concerned about catching new variants of COVID? Republicans, 5%. Democrats, 27%. And that may have some of the, uh, the, uh, the vaccine, the people who have the vaccine are less concerned about it. But then, but then you also look at, in, in May, since May 2021, people living in counties that voted heavily for Trump uh, are three times as likely to die from COVID-19 as those who live in areas that went for Biden. In October, the reddest tenth of the country saw death rates that were six times higher than the bluest tenth. I mean, there's this, there is a sense that a lot of Republicans have, which is that this is the Democrats and the liberals telling them to get vaccinated. So by God, they're not going to do it. I was really encouraged on Tuesday when President Biden came out and he kind of gave the previous administration some credit for Operation Warp Speed, for pushing this vaccine forward. I'm not sure that the Trump administration deserves a ton of credit for what you know, a, a lot of foreign-based companies had did with this, but let's say that that they did put some emphasis on developing a vaccine and that that was a good thing. And then Trump came back on Tuesday night, or, or on Sunday, Trump had said he'd gotten the booster. On Tuesday night, Trump was interviewed on Fox News, and he was very gracious about what Biden had said and said this was a very good thing. And he said that, uh, you know, this is a way toward healing. And he was telling people that these vaccines work. And to me, that might send a message to MAGA, which is like, Donald Trump, your idol, the one you worship and, and will follow to the ends of the earth, he is telling you to get vaccinated and boosted. So do it. And I think that's going to change a significant number of minds and probably save a significant number of lives. It's all in service of Trump's ego. I don't necessarily give Trump a lot of credit for doing this for humanity or for humane reasons. It's all about feeding his own ego. But I don't care at this point. I want this. I want this. This goddamn uh, pandemic over. And if it means we have to pat Trump on the head to do it, let's do it. Because uh, um, <clears throat> that's where we are here. There is definitely a partisan element to this. Well, we talk about this uh, on the show all the time, and. Um... Donald Trump, what a piece of work. But uh, the notion that Donald Trump, <clears throat> follow me on the uh, Ill logic of this all, Eric. Donald Trump wants credit for creating uh, the, um, the vaccine. At the same time, he is unwilling to commit himself. Uh, I, I know he says things every now and then, but like the other day with Bill O'Reilly, when as soon as they started booing, he backs off. So he's unwilling to commit himself to promoting taking the vaccine on a consistent level. Uh, he doesn't want to challenge the notion, the central notion of MAGA is that this is a, uh, a personal choice matter, uh, that this is a matter of uh, your liberty to control your body. And so if you want to take the vaccine, God bless you. But you should not be, nobody should be mandated to take the vaccine. So the illogic of it all is that Trump is patting himself on the back for, quote unquote, inventing the vaccine or creating the vaccine or whatever word he wants to use at the moment, while backing off from the hard work of actually implementing the vaccine the way it should be to save us from COVID. So in reality, he's not saving us from anything. Yes, Ben. Well, I'm, I'm a glasses one quarter full kind of guy on this, <laughs> which is about where it is, right? Um, you know, you're absolutely right what you say, but this is a, a ray of hope. This is a, a way into <laughs> moving people who are politically stubborn about this, who think that this is, they're showing loyalty to Trump. And, you, and you've seen online and some TikTok videos of, really crazed Trump people who are really mad at him now. They're saying, like, he wants us to take the vaccine and the vaccine is, is poison and it's causing COVID. And it's, you know, I mean, the, you know, the, the completely wild people when they're, when they're <clears throat> done waiting for JFK Jr. to show up in Dealey Plaza, they're recording these TikTok videos. So, so you have the situation where you've got Trump who's maybe just maybe got a foot in the door here. And if his ego gets stroked enough by the national media, if his ego gets stroked enough by his own people in his own party who who know the people, those Fox News hosts who are telling people not to get the vaccine, they know they've all been vaccinated. Come on. It's, it's insane. And and if they make a turn on the dime and they say, well, OK, uh, President Trump is telling us to do this. Maybe we should do this. Maybe this is good for the economy and good for the country and good for the party. How's it good for the Republicans that, that more of their people are dying off? 
These are Trump voters who are dying off more than more than Biden voters. I don't know why this is even why, how this is astute in any way that you inflame these culture wars and your people end up dying in greater numbers. That doesn't well, make any sense to me. Yeah, and and uh, I love the glasses quarter filled. Not even half filled. Not the glasses quarter filled, and it has a leak in it, Eric. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, no, I, I I hear you. Listen, uh, the inconsistency, the illogic, and the madness of it all. I just read an article about some host on Fox that was like the violent language toward uh, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, which is another offshoot of this. It, listen, Republican Party has made a proclamation that they believe in fundamental liberty. And that's like this principle that they supposedly cling to. Of course, they're hypocritical. Of course, they don't believe in liberty across the board. But this is this is their talking point. This is what drives them. And so in, in that regard, uh, Eric, it's going to be very difficult. I hate to be the glasses, not even an eighth filled, uh, but it's just going to be very difficult and challenging to put it mildly, especially if Trump, uh, to get him to turn around on this, Eric, especially since Trump is only half-heartedly doing it. You know what I mean? You're, it's, you're right. He wants to stroke his ego, but then he doesn't want to do any hard work on it. You know, he doesn't want to have anyone boo him. Remember when he had like his existential moment of crisis, his own, when they booed him? Uh, well, yes, I, I remember this. I mean, also, well, also, if you remember back to 2020, when he refused to wear a mask in public, he, which would have, I think, sent a really strong... I mean, the thing about masks is I, I know that they're not perfect by any means, and especially some of these bandanas that people wear are barely effective, but there was a symbolic value to wearing masks, which said to to everyone you encountered that you were taking this pandemic seriously, that you were that this is something that not to be taken lightly is a serious disease. We don't want to get it. That wearing the face covering, the mask, was it had it had two levels of effect. One was the practical level, and one was the symbolic level. And Trump would not engage indulge in the in the in the symbolism. He ended up getting COVID, and, and maybe in part because of that. But that that I mean, you think about the number of lives that were lost by Trump refusing to take it seriously, by telling people it was going to go away, by not encouraging them to take some basic measures. He, I am certain he made this pandemic worse. There are dead bodies piled up all over that you could point to and say, if not for Donald Trump and his his mishandling, bungling of the pandemic, especially early on, they would be alive today. And I mean, it's it's monstrous what he did. It's it's a, it's a huge stain on his on his legacy, his reputation. So if it means that we now have to say, well, but gosh, Donald, yeah, you may, there may be a huge pile of dead bodies, but you did help encourage the, the pharmaceutical companies to develop vaccines. Uh, so good on you. Uh, I'm willing to do that right now. I'll, I'll wait for history. I'll wait for history to have its judgment on Trump and handling the vaccine, uh, handling the pandemic. If we can, if we can please get it over with as quickly as possible, if we can all you know, be pulling on the oars in the same direction. I do think that if he were to get behind uh, a vaccine. If he were to get behind uh, mandatory vaccine programs, if he were to get behind some of these efforts, like we're seeing in Cook County in Chicago now, where you know, if you go to any, you know, the, we have to present IDs, uh, sorry, uh, vaccine cards, and so on to get into places. I think if he were to really get behind those, and people like DeSantis in Florida were to get behind those things, everyone would say, "Hey, we're, you know, yeah, we don't really like this as a as a long term thing, but short term, we need to get this under control. And if you can get these rascally MAGA people to get behind that for a while, you could you could save lives and bring this to the kind of end that it's going to come to. I'm not, I'm not sure that it's ever going to completely go away, right? We may, we may be getting COVID booster shots for the rest of our lives, man. Yeah. But you know, I can live with that. I can live with that, and I we already have flu shots, right? Uh, so uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, now I'm gonna have to think about this. I'm gonna have to uh, walk, go for a walk later today and think about what you said, and maybe I'll even get a column out of this. Uh, is saving the country from COVID worth exonerating Donald Trump from his many sins in regards to COVID? Uh, that is a, that that's like a man. That's a that's a struggle, Eric. That you it's it's worth it's it's worth mumbling into your hand about it for a couple of months. <laughs> that's what I said. I mean, no, I I think I think history is going to be brutal on Donald Trump in a number of ways, and and his handling of the pandemic is just going to be one of them. 
I don't think, you know, no, I, we cannot, you and I could not, even if we wanted to exonerate Trump from the way he handled the pandemic overall. Yeah. Uh, but, but if we, if we just say, you know, good Donald go, yes, <laughs> you're on our side. You're helping us get rid of this pandemic and, and, and ignore his grotesque missteps early on. And there's, you know, the, the failing of testing and, you know, I mean, it would go on and on about that. Right. I mean, it, that, uh, you look back at the things that he said and the things that were done and not done early in the pandemic. It's, it's horrifying and it violates every rule of public health, but let's, we can, we can stuff that into the memory hole temporarily while we, while we fight this pandemic. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to rail Trump for this now. Yeah. Um, And so if we can say like, Oh, you know, good old Donald and his vaccine, let's take, and they should rebrand it. They call it the Trump vaccine in 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 all these red, in all these red (laughs) counties say, Let's go get the uh, Trump vaccine. Get the Trump uh, booster. You know, yeah, I mean, why yeah. not? I know, I know, I know. You're throwing up in your mouth here a little bit, Ben. But, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about. First of all, uh, when we get to Eric Zorn's crystal ball, we'll get into the uh, the more up. Uh, forget what, how history will judge Donald Trump. I'm thinking the more uh, to soon to come uh, moments that somehow or other promoting Donald Trump as the savior of, of America from COVID uh, would have consequences uh, in this, the upcoming mid, mid, uh, midterms. Uh, in general, this fits a larger pattern of lowering the bar so much when it comes to MAGA and Donald Trump uh, and, ex- and, and avoiding and ignoring the historical realities so much when it comes to Donald Trump that we m- just continually move the center of discourse in this country uh, to the right, and we become more accepting of bad behavior. You know what I mean? It's like, so like Mitch McConnell, for instance, this is just, uh, uh, what I just popped into my mind, says anything remotely critical of the insurgents who uh, overtook the Capitol on January 6th, there's a tendency uh, on the part of, uh, of Americans to say of good mind, oh my God, that's progress. That's progress. Mitch McConnell criticized people who try to kill, who said they were trying to kill the vice president of the United States and overturn the will of the election, Eric. Do you follow what I'm saying? And then, of course, he's just doing it for strictly political reasons. It's a political tactic. And when it's no longer, you know, important for him and necessary to be critical, he backs off. Well, let let me let me address your worries about the 2022 uh, election, congressional elections, particularly, which I share completely. The idea that we would give Trump some credit in a way to help get the pandemic under control. I think that the state of, of the pandemic is going to be a major factor. And if, if in October of 2022, we're still having you know flights canceled, the, the news today on Friday is that the airlines are canceling flights all over the country. You're, you may be stuck out there in LA for, for a couple more weeks. Um, and, you know, my, I've got a son in, now uh, down in Florida. He may not be able to get home. It's you know, if that's the kind of thing we're seeing in October 2022, the Democrats are going to get completely slaughtered. If, on the other hand, the pandemic has has is back under control, which it which it is likely to be, given you know what happens in the summer months, and given that this Omicron variant is is like a brush fire right now, but it may well burn itself out. We may be back to kind of normal, which is what we're hoping for. If that's the case, then the economy, which I think, which I think you know, some of these issues with inflation that we're seeing right now, of course, the supply chain issues, all those things are going to be, we have some time for those to come back in. And so if, the, if people are feeling good about the direction of the country, that's the Democrats' best chance. Whether or not we're, we're stroking Donald Trump on the side you know, or, or trying to say good dog, good dog, so he doesn't <laughs> lunge at us uh, is, is another thing. But 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 I, I really think that, that getting this pandemic under control is going to be a key to, to whatever slim chances the Democrats have. Of holding on to to Congress, because once we lose control, I uh, sorry, we once the Democrats <laughs> lose control of Congress, then the January sixth Commission goes away. Any chance we have of getting justice for what happened on January sixth goes away, and uh, and, and things for twenty twenty four start to look pretty grim because President Biden is not going to get jack shit done in in twenty in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four with a with at least one branch of congress in republican hands he's not getting much done now no. but uh 
By the way, that was a great lie, which I wrote down and what we use. Maybe I'll give you credit. I don't know. I'll think about <laughs> it at the time. Uh, telling Donald Trump, good dog, good dog, so he doesn't lunge at us. That is a great line. Sometimes, like, when my guests are riffing, they come up with really great lines. Not, I shouldn't make it seem like it's only occasionally. Miles Conflassa came up with the other day. That was brilliant. Uh, and uh, Delmarie Cobb was, on a fe- was having a field day the other day. But uh, I get some great lines uh, from my guests. When you guys are just, like, free-form riffing, like you're John Coltrane uh, on the sacks. Uh, all right, uh, Eric, speaking of riffing, let's move away from COVID f- for a while. And folks, let me just tell you, for a guy who has COVID, he looks great. All right? You look <laughs> marvelous, Eric. Uh, well, I yeah. like to say that I recovered from COVID. I mean, this was, this was last, I mean, I, I, was, I took po- tested positive last month, and I was outside of the 10-day window, which allowed Mary Schmeek and I to do our, our little Christmas show at the Old Town School. We were outside of the COVID protocols. They're like the bulls, you know. We weren't uh, several members. <laughs> several members of our cast had gone through it, and were but, but nobody at the time was uh, was uh, positive, testing positive, or, or outside that that window. So no, I feel I feel perfectly fine right now. All right. So you met you mentioned Mary. You mentioned Mary, and so let's just uh, get into life after the Tribune, uh, the Chicago Tribune. You worked there for I forget I don't 41 know, thirty years. years. How 41. many? Forty one. God damn! I th- whoa. Then you nice play. Then you and I used to play basketball together in the eighties. Come on, that's it's, we're older uh, than we think, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Uh, so you worked there. Life after the tribute, you walked away. I give you a lot of credit for walking away. Uh, so what's your life like after the tribute? After something forty-one years of writing for the tribute, what's life? It's like? it's it's really it's it's wonderful actually. To tell you the truth, I I took a buyout from the Tribune from Alden Global Capital, the hedge fund that buys newspapers and strips them down to the, to uh, the skeletal parts. And Mary Mary Schmeek took the buyout. Steve Chapman took a buyout. Let's see what other columnists? Uh, Darlene Glanton took a buyout. Uh, and and Heidi Stevens took a buyout, but she continues to contribute to the Tribune. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we have some a financial cushion to get us to sort of retirement age, whatever. And I started doing, I started writing on Substack and I've just been having a blast doing it. I, I do a weekly newsletter. I call it the Picayune Sentinel. It's named after a, a, a little mimeographed publication that my late grandfather used to put out to, com, to communicate with his mathematics colleagues around the country. And so I borrowed his uh, the title of his his news his publication and also the slogan "Beautiful Thoughts, Beautifully Expressed," and that's been going really well. I've been uh, I've got uh, about I get more I get about twenty thousand plus page views per issue on it, and and that's that's more page views than I usually got from my Tribune columns. Now the Tribune columns, of course, had a lot of ink on paper readers as well, so the reach is not is not the same obviously but but uh, it's really and but the thing is that I you know I write on my own schedule and I choose my topics and I don't have people telling me no don't write about that or you've already written about that I just you know or anyway so it, it's been really fun to do that and that's sort of sort of become a part-time job and my wife Johanna who you know is uh, is sort of in <clears throat> she left her her job a couple years ago and she's doing a lot of freelance audio editing and consulting she works really part-time for audible the uh, the uh, audiobook company. So, you know, we got we got money coming in and and, and I'm at home and so the life after the tribune's been pretty great. And uh so I never knew this. You kept that close uh to your vest that you had a, you had uh, to deal with that meddlesome editors. So, it's Oh, well, no, no. No, I no, my edit the editors that I had at the tribune were were really good. My uh immediate supervisors were really good. Um toward the end of my career, I was uh uh, my my boss was Kristen McQuarrie, who you know a lot of people think is uh, you know has, has turned turned into some sort of demon. Kristen McQuarrie, despite what you know, you may disagree with her politically, she's really a wonderful person, a wonderful editor, was a wonderful supervisor, very supportive, um, never gave me any grief about what I wanted to write, let me spew my lefty poison, uh, and uh, so so my no my editors were really good. I occasionally they would say like you know. Don't write. You've already written about that. Don't write about it again, and things like that. But no, for the most part, they were they were really great. Um, but it's more like not having three deadlines a week and having to come up with a with a column like a, and file it by a certain time. Uh, having that pressure off me and, and being able to and the other, of course, the other thing about a column and you you write a column, so you know it's like a column has to be a certain length, right? So you got to you got to figure out not only what is it you want to say, but how's it going to fit into the box. 
And for me now, I just write what I want to write. And I wrote a whole long thing about Dan Webb's report on Kim Fox and quoted it at great length this week. And I didn't, I wasn't counting words and going, well, well, that's, you know, that's not 700 words. That's, you know, 1200 words, whatever. So, so being able to have that kind of thing. And that wasn't, you know, like I said, I want my, my editors at the Tribune were, were pretty great. So I, I don't have any, any, any issue with that, but, um, uh, you know, I was very worried about what the future was going to hold. One of the things that I did before I decided to leave was I looked at what Alden Global Capital newspapers around the country uh, did when it came to opinion writing. And I saw that for the most part, they got rid of local news columnists and they just had you know, people like uh, David Grising, for instance, you know, who who was for the BGA and has a column in the Tribune. Uh, you know, those are like, those are not staff columns. Those are, I mean, Dave Grising is, is, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about him. He's, he's a good writer. He's good. He's former Tribune columnist actually. But what they like to do is they, they hire people for a pittance who are working for other companies and they, you know, so you have think tanks and people that volunteer op-eds. They don't have a lot of staff columnists. So I thought my days here are numbered either way. So I'm taking a buyout and just, you know, go and see what else the, while I still have some gas in the tank, to see what else the world of uh, opinion writing might have to offer. So yeah, no, I think it was a, a, a good decision on your part. And I did a column uh, after all the columnists left, uh, saying, "Will I continue my subscription to the Tribune?" I got a lot of issues with the Tribune, Eric, which I won't burden you with at this moment because I want to go on to uh, move on to Dan, the Dan Webb, uh, Kim Fox thing, but. Uh, uh, I struggle. Should I cancel the Tribune? And I just think it's lethargy. I've <laughs> the the Tribune uh, just keeps re-upping because it's on a credit card. So, uh, and t- you know what'll probably happen, uh, Eric, is that if I lose my credit card, uh, which has been known to happen in my life, and I have to cancel it, then that moment will come because you know what I mean. They block the credit card. The Tribune starts sending you these emails. I don't know if you ever been in this position because you probably always always got it for free. But uh, no, no, not at all. In fact, not at all. We, we, we the staff pays for their own subscriptions. Man, that is the cheapest thing. That's, I'm, just let me add that to the list of things that annoy the hell out of me about the. That is cheap, Tribune. I I am not I am not with the Tribune anymore. But I I do think that you have. Great journalists there, uh, you know Stacy St. Clair, who covered, who was you know, part of the team, and Christy Katowski, who covered the uh, the Rittenhouse trial. They did a great job. You have Greg Pratt on your show from time to time. Greg is doing a bulldog job down at City Hall. Uh, I, I I feel like there are some great writers, great journalists there who are continuing to do great work under difficult circumstances, and I I'm, I'm supporting them. I'm not uh, talking about them. Let no, me make the to quote Richard Nixon, let me make this perfectly clear. I'm talking about the cheap asses who run the Tribune that charge their writers to subscribe to Tribune. <laughs> that is cheap, Eric. That's all I got to say. My mother, may she rest in peace. Her big thing was when people were cheap, she would call them out on it. She said, that's the cheapest thing I've ever heard. I'm- that, yeah, <laughs> we did. I think we did get an employee discount there for a while. But, but uh, <laughs> oh, no, that's a, nice to see you, Colonel McCormick. <laughs> God damn. No, and and uh, if you and if you went into the office, they did have newspapers there for you to read. So, oh you know. my no, God! No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. By the way, I don't even think Logan Roy charges his employees for the newspapers. That's a Succession uh, reference, ladies and gentlemen. I'm only three years behind in Succession. All I right. haven't even I haven't started it yet. Are, are you oh, recommending man. it? Are you kidding? Well, okay. Let me a typical uh, Ben Jarofsky recommended recommendation. I always back off, okay, from my recommendations because if if like you recommend something to somebody, go, I didn't like it. So <laughs> yeah, I just I tailor my recommendations. So if you like long, if you like dramas where there's these intense confrontations that the the creators allow to go on for a while, I'm talking like twenty minutes, Eric. There's if you like that, where the, like people are arguing with each other and there's tension building, then it's for you. But if you want action, if you want guys running down alleys, if you want guys jumping in roofs, you know, hopping into cars, shooting guns, uh, if you want steamy romance, it's not for you. There's no steamy romance. There's no guys running down alleys. It's just intense conversation between fabulously wealthy people who are all equipped with great cutting remarks the ability to make really quick witty remarks uh and they're wheeling and dealing so i don't know so, if, if so how, far, thing, how far are you into it you just you're just in the first season 
I finished the, there's three seasons. I finished the first season and I'm almost done with the second. And my wife and I were just plowing. I mean, every night we come home uh, to our little, uh, you got to see this thing. It was like this little room we have and we just, we watch an episode. So yeah, I'm into it. In fact, I'm going to do it. Ramana Hussein. I'm going to plug this. Uh, she's now started to watch it. So we're going to take the deep dive on a Friday with Ramana uh, on succession. Uh, Cause she's not got her watching it. So yeah, I, I look, if you're like intense dramas with a lot of great crackling dialogue, it's for you. Yeah. I got to try it. Everyone's talking about it. And that's one of the things, one of the things that gets me to watch things is when I feel like it's sort of part of the zeitgeist and, and succession kind of, it kind of washed over me for a couple of years. And now I realize that everyone, everyone is anyone seems to be watching it. And so that would include you and Pam, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to, um, uh, Dan Webb, Kim Fox, and uh, give folks sort of like uh, the nickel version of your take on this. Uh, as you said, you wrote a, a long essay on this. Go ahead. Well, the Webb report, which he wrote back in August before the election um, and was put under seal until just until last Monday, describes the kind of chaos and misinformation and dishonesty that was coming out of Fox's office over this fundamentally minor, stupid thing that, that Jesse, Jesse Smollett did. And you, you look at it and you think like, what? I still don't know the answer. I thought that this report would clear up. What was Kim Fox thinking? What was, what was Joe Maggots thinking? What were these guys doing when they acted to indict Smollett? And then was it 19 days later, they decide to you know, sort of hastily call somewhat almost secretive act drop all charges and allow him to go down to the to the lobby of the Leighton courthouse and talk about how innocent he was, uh, which really galled everybody that I knew. It was like, hey, come on, you know, look, we're gonna, we're, we, don't, we don't necessarily want to see you locked up in prison for this, but at least say you're sorry <laughs> and pay a fine and move on. Uh, and so, so the whole question is what was going on? And the n- number of things that Fox said that were contradictory and, and wrong and dishonest were just kind of startling. And you read this 59-page report, and you think, like, this was bad. And again, it's a small case, but I think it's it's symbolic to a lot of people of her lack of, of honesty, her lack of transparency, her failure to communicate well with people. And you need to have someone in an important job like Cook County State Attorney, you have to have real confidence in someone like that, because she is at the tip of the spear when it comes to you know, some of these wild problems we're having with, with crime these days. So, so it's a, it's a bigger, it's a bigger thing than just this stupid hoax that Jesse Smollett orchestrated. So anyway, that, so I, I thought it was, uh, I, I think that she needs, she still needs, there needs to be another turn of the wheel here. She needs to come around and really talk about something that she's refused to talk about so far, which is like, what, what were these conversations like? She says, according to this report, that she was taken aback when they dropped these charges. Well, what were those conversations like? What, what, why, and why did she decide after this was done, why didn't, if she was taken aback and she thought it was the wrong decision, why didn't she just take over and say, no, this is not the right thing to do. But instead she doubles down on this idea that this was a normal routine way of handling things, which it was not. And then she writes an op-ed in the Tribune saying, that, well, there were problems with the case that had developed, which had not happened, according to everybody now. Um, so it's just like on and on with this. It's just, it is, as I said, it's a cluster event. It is. Uh, I've said from the get-go, she was blinded by celebrity. Celebrity is a very powerful thing in our country. Uh, and, um, you know, everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to be on the A-team, you know. Not everybody could be Eric Zorn riding around in that uh, cool Mercedes Benz of his. I just made that up. I don't even know what he drives. I, I drive uh, a Honda CRV, but <laughs> but, but it's but it's uh, very very similar. It is Steve. mine. He's Steve McQueen. Okay, and I'm not talking <laughs> about the British director. I'm talking about the action uh, figure from the '60s and '70s. So I, that to me, uh, Eric is. Uh, I've always felt she was blinded by celebrity uh, and there were overtures made to her from powerful people in the Democratic Party and uh, Hollywood celebrity. And it, it, it's not even like uh, it's not even like superstar celebrity. It's not even like uh, Jay-Z celebrity. You know what I mean? Or on that level, you got what I'm saying? It's not uh, Bradley Cooper celebrity. It's I do get what you're saying. I honestly had not heard of Jesse Smollett before this whole thing happened. 
Now, because I wasn't what, an empire watcher, so. Well, Tina Chen called. I mean, just look at the. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, you know, Tina Chen called. Tina Chen for folks. I mean, anybody who listens to my show knows because I talk about this obsessively. Tina Chen, big time uh, Democratic uh, chieftain and uh, friends of Michelle Obama. So that's part of the celebrity. And uh, so who knows? We've I, Have we seen, I can't remember, uh, Eric, your, your memory has to be better than mine. Have we uh, seen like a, a list of all the people who called? Has, have they ever chronicled the list of people, all the people who called on behalf of Justice Smollett? Or? I, I didn't see, I read the entire report from Dan Webb. I didn't see that, that sort of list. She was in touch much more than she admitted at the time with Journey Smollett, who is Jussie's sister. And, and, and she said that she cut off conversations with her as soon as it became clear that Jussie was a suspect in the case. But that, that turned out to be a, a completely wrong. She kept communicating with her many, many days after uh, about the case. So I'm not, I don't know that there were, you know, I don't think Michelle Obama called. I don't, I don't think we, we know that, but that you know, whether she was blinded by celebrity or whether she saw in this case, my theory, my theory of this case has always been that she saw in this case a, a, a perfect way to illustrate to the people of Cook County that her priority is not on this pilly shit crime, like uh, staging a hate crime, and that she was she is focused on violent crime, serious crime, crime that actually threatens people, and that she's not going to prioritize things like this. And, she, and this was a great way of symbolizing that she felt to people that just like, you know, the, the, her attitude toward property crime is, is basically like, hey, we're not going to lock people up for that. We're going to set a fairly high threshold even for prosecuting people for property crime, shoplifting and so on. So she saw in this like a, an opportunity or her office saw in this an opportunity to really illustrate that by saying, look, we're not, we're not even going to bother with this stupid case. Like, go, just go and sin no more. We're not going to get, you know, just get out of here. And it backfired enormously because she didn't have her finger to the wind. Her office didn't have its finger to the wind about how the public felt about this, which was that Smollett had, I, I mean, I know that it's not the city with nearly 800 murders in it to, set, to have a year to have someone say, well, there's a, there's a MAGA person in the country who committed a hate crime. Doesn't really put that much of a stain on the city of Chicago. Right. I mean, we, we've got other stains on us that are much larger than that, but the, he felt like people felt like, you know, he, he phonied up this crime. He led the police on a $100,000 goose chase. And, you know, we, we at least need to get a confession from him and an apology from him. And then, you know, th this all should have been over him in, in June of 2019. But the fact that it lingered on and on uh, tells you that the public didn't buy this. They thought we, we want our chief law enforcement officer to take this kind of thing Seriously enough, at least to get the kind of thing that you always would get. You look at the at similar cases, and I found a couple, and our reporters found others of people who filed police false police reports for various reasons. You know, trying to uh, the, the one was a, a some a couple on Lower Wacker Drive. Remember this one where they they claimed that they were accosted by three black men who took all their things, and it turned out to be a com complete lie. And uh, you know, and, and they got community service, which is you know a fine community service. You know, we do have bigger problems than faked hate crimes, but we do also want our, our law enforcement officers to at least get a confession, a, a guilty plea and move on. And, and it was just a huge miscalculation. She apparently doesn't have people around who her, you know, her wait a second person who says, come on, you know, Oh, that's Madam a Chicago. That, Madam yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, no, that is a Chicago thing. Yeah. We, we, we could do a whole show on that point. The lack of, of wait a second, people. That's a good line. That's a great another one. good that, line. Wait yeah, no, no, no. You, you, you need. You absolutely need people like that in your office, and that's. And and I think that that Mayor Lightfoot lacks a wait a second person. Uh, I think Rob Emanuel lacked a wait a second person. I think. I mean, you look back. Who they, they all see. Mayor Daly. We went twenty odd years without a wait a second. Every dumb idea that Mayor Daly came up with, there was no. I never have seen evidence. Just like the parking meters. I'll give a shout out to my dear friend, Mick Dumkey. He was the one who did the FOIA for me. We did the, we tag teamed on that. We looked to see, Eric, what, what evidence there existed uh, in the, the city hall that any thought was given to Mayor Daly's idea of selling the parking meters. Okay. It was ultimately Mayor Daly was advocating. None. <laughs> it was like, we did a FOIA and they, they turned over. It was just like this promotional brochure that the promoter of selling the park. So 
uh, you're, that's a great line. Uh, yeah, but that's what they, they needed someone to say, like, well, going back to the parking meter deal, it dug the city out of a budget hole in the moment. Right. I mean, I forget what it was. It was some, was it one, 1.2 billion? What was it? I mean, it was, it was, it, it was seemed 1. like a, 1 billion. And it yeah. seemed like a lot of money at the time. And it, and it, and it covered over a lot of problems in the moment, but, but nobody said like, you know, your honor, <laughs> you, you were selling this for, was it, is it 99 years or 75 years? I can't remember how long they sold it for. Well, you're, you're mixing it up. You're uh oh, a little, uh, dyslexia in a part of, uh, uh, Eric Zorn, uh, because there's the 75 year Skyway and Skyway, the 99 okay. year parking meter. But you know okay. what, Eric? Having said that, I could revert. I could have had him reverse myself. So, and usually, if we were doing the show live, there'd be a dear friend Frank. There's a, a listener who checks us uh, and then comes right back with their correct answer. So we're not doing this live. So it's one or the other, 99 or 75. I just can't remember at the moment. But but, so, but somebody say like, and let's let's just do a little analysis of how much money we could, if we were to take this operation over ourselves, how much money we're losing long-term here. Uh, and, but apparently nobody around, you you did the, the deep reporting. Nobody. The only guy who did it was Alderman Scott Wagsback. Shout, uh, shout out Scotty Wagsback, 32nd Ward. And they all yelled at him. And he, they, they treated him like an outcast. And Richard Mel said, they're going to kill you. Don't do this. It's like, what a dumb city. That's a great line, though. I wrote it down. Wait a second, people. They don't exist in the city of Chicago when it comes to the powerful. Uh, and by the way, we'll move on from Smollett. But when we were, you were going on your riff, I thought, you know who she, uh, Kim Fox, ultimately did the, you could argue, the greatest disservice to was Jesse Smollett because he started proclaiming his innocence because she bungled the case and he felt compelled to to continue to proclaim his innocence, even though nobody believes him in America. You know what I'm saying? No one believes him. He's still going around proclaiming his innocence. It's like he painted himself into a corner and he can't get out. And if, well, if she had, yeah, yes, and and his career is in shambles. He said so on the witness stand, which may have been one of the few true things that he said on the witness stand. Th there's a question I've been, I've asked my uh, my readers to predict what's going to happen with his sentencing, and you know the the smart money was that he was going to get he's going to get probation. I think that that it's now quite possible that the judge, having been you know listened to him spew his falsehoods from the witness stand. He's not technically convicted of perjury, but he perjured himself on the witness stand, if you believe the jury's verdict. And I think that that may call for a short, salutary prison sentence to let people know that you can't just get on the stand on a lie. Uh, you can't double down on your lies without getting a little bit more punishment. The original offense, faking a hate crime, probation, a fine... A little I, bit of I, hope he, I hope he doesn't get it. Well, whatever. Well, I really hope they don't give him a uh, prison because I think ultimately uh, sticking to your story, your fabricated story uh, is not worthy, particularly when the story is of such low stakes, throwing a guy in jail. I just. Yeah. I, 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 and, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that, but I, I this, the, the idea that he got on the stand and lied has turned me into someone who would hope for maybe a six month sentence or something to really underscore that you don't do if you, you know, you can sit there quietly while your lawyers argue for your innocence. But if you get on the stand, you raise your right hand, swear to tell the truth and you keep lying at some point, you got to say, we can't just countenance out. We can't say just, okay, bad boy. On the other hand, the other argument is this guy really has suffered enough in that he has had to, he's lost a career. I, I think he was a fairly rising star. He's 39 years old. I don't know that he's going to be able to, to turn it around. We, there are second acts in American life. Oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, come you think on, of, yeah. you think oh of like, was Hugh Grant, right? I mean, you know, Hugh Grant caught with a uh, hooker in a car in LA. And you just, you know, people, you, it, the public will forgive people who ask for forgiveness, but, but Smollett has not asked for forgiveness. And so I don't think he's going to get, he's not going well, to have stuff. that moment. He's going to, but anyway, I, 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 the one I always think of is Marv Albert uh, going back. Oh sports. yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Pee Wee yeah. Herman. Right. I mean, he, he, he oh, recovered yeah, a little bit. I still have my t-shirt that says, uh, leave Pee Wee alone. And, uh, so, um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pee Wee Herman. I always got, thought he got a bum deal. All right. Uh, you've already started, uh, with the closeout segment, uh, Eric Zorn's crystal ball. So I'll just throw a few, um, uh, predictions at you again. So this is airing, uh, the day after Christmas and it's usually the first week, uh, that people listen to, uh, the a podcast, the boxing uh, day special. 
Yes, boxing day. Very good. All right. So I'm going to give you the same, some of the same ones I gave Delmarie and get your thoughts. Uh, so you already talked briefly about this. Congressional midterms, as you view things right now, do you think the Democrats will hold on to the House of Representatives or do you think the Republicans will take the House of Representatives in the midterm elections? Go. I think the Republicans will take the House, unfortunately. Wow. I, uh, <laughs> the glass has nothing in it. Okay. <laughs> right. no, I mean, <laughs> It's 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 horrifying, but I I, do you, I mean, do you do you think that I, I I'm not asking what you want. Obviously, I yes. hope that it doesn't happen, but but uh, I don't. Right now, the way the country is gerrymandered up for Republicans, yeah, uh, I don't I don't think. That well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take something that you said and sort of uh, uh, use it again here. Uh, you you essentially were running down the variables that are still out there. You know the the unknown factors. Uh, and one of them is what you just said, gerrymandering, which would be one of, if not a top of the list. Where you, so how you design the uh, districts. And uh, there's a bunch of geeks out there uh, who keep track of gerrymandered districts. So like, and then they do a final uh, analysis of like how many districts are now just unbeatably Republican and how many are unbeatably Democrat. And I don't believe that final analysis has been done. You no, know, California just did its redistricting. So I just say there's too many variables out there for me to make an ironclad prediction, but I do sense the gloom and doom. All right. Ben, you, you, I want to say you and I are, are on the exact same page about gerrymandering in Illinois, which is that I'm fine if they got rid of gerrymandering in Illinois, as long as Republicans in, say, North Carolina, Wisconsin, everywhere else agreed to it. I think unilaterally disarming because it's the right thing to do is just politically suicidal. And I will I, I have been a lot of my good government friends. I uh, am in strong disagreement with them saying that we should have uh, neutrally neutral maps in Illinois. I say, yeah, if, if the uh, if the rest of the country does it, I'm totally fine. It, it is. I, it's ideal. To have, I have, I don't want politicians drawing their own maps, but until other states do it, no way should Illinois disarm you. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous. If you just, good government people, just go look at the Texas map. You don't live in a vacuum. It's not like there's a, a, a country outside of Illinois, good government people. It's called the United States of America. Go look at the Texas map. And uh, it's such a joke. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I hear, when right. I hear you talk about that, I, I drop what I'm doing and I stand up and share. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, J.B. Pritzker. Will J.B. Pritzker be reelected? Yes, Jordan. of course. Of course he will be. <laughs> well, you got the billionaire, Kenny G, promising to spend up to $300 million to defeat him. On who? Raybine? <laughs> Kenny G doesn't even know how to pronounce his name. Is it oh, Ray Bine or Ray B? No, no. You know what? Right now, I don't see any plausible. The only Republican who I think could really uh, ideologically give Pritzker a run for his money is Kinzinger. And I don't see Kinzinger getting through a primary with all yeah, these crazy no, Republicans. Um, so I think you're going to run, run someone like Darren Bailey. Uh, who, who may squeak through? I mean, he's my—he's he, my prediction for the Republican nominee. If that's yeah, one of your DB, questions, yeah, we didn't. I, I and I, I think he's—he's going to win with a plurality of the primary vote. I think the primary field's going to get crowded, but I—I I don't. Illinois Republicans—we act like they're this this wonderful, calm, serene, moderate group. It's Illinois Republicans like Republicans everywhere. The, the fact is that the only kind of Republican who can get elected in Illinois right now is like Jim Edgar type or a Jim Thompson type or a, you know, even, even a, a social moderate like Rauner was able to thread the needle and get in. But but these these you know, the, the Republican Party is has moved way to the right. So it's going to be someone like like I mean, I think Darren Bailey is the one who's going to who's going to win mm -hmm. that primary with like 32 percent of the vote, something like that. All right, and final crystal ball. And folks, I'm going to do a little, uh, give you a preamble on this one. Eric Zorn has, uh, wrote for the Tribune for 41 years. He's lived in the city of Chicago uh, for almost all that time. So he's pretty much a Chicagoan. But what you don't know is that his roots are in the state of Michigan. He's a Wolverine, ladies and gentlemen. He grew up in Ann Arbor, ladies and gentlemen. He went to the University of Michigan. And behind him, as he speaks, is a University of Michigan banner. That's how much he loves. I wear Bulls hats. He has University of Michigan banners on his wall. And you may not know this, uh, listeners of the Ben Jarowski Show, because you're mostly political geeks. 
But the University of Michigan will be contending for the uh, college football championship. It's one of the four teams that will be battling it off for the college football championship. And the coach of the University of Michigan is none other than Jim Harbaugh. He used to play quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Yes, you learn things on my show. So, Eric Zorn, will your beloved Wolverines of Michigan be national champions in the next couple of weeks? Go. You know, I, I hate to be the guy who turns against his team and, 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 and predicts with his head, not his heart. But I, I watched Alabama dismantle Georgia. Uh, and Michigan is a good team. I don't think they're going to win. The, I think Alabama is going to win the title. I think Michigan might well beat Georgia, but I don't think they're going to have, I don't think they can beat Alabama. Uh, I hate to say it. Cause I would, you know, I'll be obviously a leather lungs for Michigan, but uh but uh, if I if I if I want to increase my accuracy percentage, I'm going to go with Alabama. What about you? Well, first of all, I long ago learned that it really doesn't matter uh, what any of us predict. The world goes on <laughs> without us. Okay. So, and nobody is keeping track. Uh, by the way, you know, except for maybe me. You know. Uh, so I'm I'm a Big Ten guy. I love the Big Ten. When I it's. Uh, I'm a Northwestern fan because I uh, went. I grew up in Evanston, so God, talk about hopeless causes. So yeah, how's, that, how's that working yeah, out for you? Working out. So uh, my dear friend Mick Dumkey and I, the uh, two Northwestern uh, fans. Uh, so I'm predicting Michigan. They're going all the way. Big Ten is going to win its first uh, championship. I think Ohio State won one about. I don't know. I forget. I lose track of time. Eric. Uh, definitely within the last ten years, Ohio State won one. So I'm going Michigan. And uh, Jim Harbaugh will then uh, quit and come become coach of the Chicago Bears. So there you go. Uh, there's wow, you that a two is, for that's, one. <laughs> that's quite a prediction. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, my question is not Nagy is going to go for sure. The question is: Is, is Ryan Pace going to go? Are they going to get rid of? Are they going to sort of clean house all the top of that? Of that uh, you know. Bears? It, the Bears, man. I've been following the Bears since 1966, Eric. And you know what? I laughed. I got to just say this. I'm not naming names, but some some guy who doesn't write about sports predicted that Nagy would be fired uh, before the season was over. I'm like, this is why you don't let political writers write about sports. Because anybody who knows anything about the Chicago Bears knows that they're even cheaper than the aforementioned Tribune. Tribune charged its reporters. Boy, I, Eric, you should never have told me that. I am not going to let that one go. That is the cheapest cheap of all cheap. Tribune, and uh, <laughs> that is so cheap. <laughs> Charging reporters, good God! And uh, so uh, the Bears are notoriously cheap too. So Eric, you knew the Bears weren't going to fire a coach. They never they have. Right? They, they never have in the middle of the season, right? Every every other franchise in the country knows just to, to cut ties and find somebody new and get going. And send a message, but the Bears going well. And and of course, the truth is, why would you bother at this point, right? I mean, they're they're not they're, they're totally out of the playoff picture. I mean that and that game Monday night was just a nightmare. All right, so, so here's a question for Eric Zorn. You're gonna watch some ducking and dodging, ladies and gentlemen. Let's watch this, Eric Zorn. In your humble opinion, who is cheaper, the Tribune or the Chicago Bears? Go. Uh, <laughs> right now, I bet it's the Tribune. <laughs> Uh, no historically, no I, histor I gotta say, they, historically, they were pretty good to me uh, in terms of, you know. No, like, historically, it's just that, that's just like a little quirky thing they charge their reporters. <laughs> but then they go, but uh, if you come into the office, we'll give you a newspaper. Uh, then we have to deduct the cost of getting to the office from the newspaper. All right, Eric, it's been a blast. And uh, you show no signs whatsoever of any COVID. I know you said you're over it already, but uh, so it's given me hope. I want you know. to give you one last one last lesson about Alexi Janulius. Oh, how to God. pronounce his last name? I just want I want to stress this that when you think and this is your mnemonic for this when you think of Alexi, think of him holding a martini with gin in it. So you think like Alexi, you know, he's got he's got a little bit of a James Bond look to him. Gin Janulius. That's how you say his name, okay? And, and you can All tell right, Dennis, too. Dennis butchers the name just like you do. So I, I really don't want to hear Giannullius from you guys anymore. All right. Me, all right. All right. So uh, since you uh, brought that up, uh, on behalf of Dennis, we're going to close with you doing your Alexi, uh, your imitation of Alexi imitating Barack Obama. Go ahead, Eric. My, this is your, your impression. Of <laughs> you do a great one. I can't. I can't. 
You guys both do a better Janulius impression than I do. No, it's yes, Janu- he's imitating Obama. He's channeling Obama no, I so know. much. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, I know. Your, your impression of that is it's very, it's very, it's very funny. It's very funny, Ben. When you do that, yes. There you go. There you go. That's so, all. Sorry, Janulius, and I'll Gen- predict he's Janulius. Janulius, and he's going to win. By the way, that's my another prediction. So. All right, he will win the Democratic primary and the general election. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Very good. All right, Eric Zorn, thank you very much. Uh, outstanding job as only, always. And uh, go take some rest because uh, COVID can uh, really wear you down. And you gave me a little hope, Eric. I totally anticipate uh, that you're correct, that everybody will get uh, COVID. And I'll probably catch it at the airport or on the airplane coming home. If there's so, ever uh, a flight back, yeah. Yes, if there's ever a flight back. All right. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year, et cetera, and so forth. And thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, That's Eric Zorn. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 